Thank you for joining us for Working Through the Word, a ministry of the Richmond Church of Christ. Let's join our pulpit minister, Mike Johnson, as he brings today's lesson. That reading was the beginning of an event that identifies for us a mother that most people just don't remember. One who is overlooked often, but who provided a wonderful service for God, for His church, and has left us a legacy and an opportunity to know more about Jesus because of her doing her job. Now, I know it was true in Bible times, and I think it still may be true today that mothers spend more time in their, with their children than fathers do, not because necessarily fathers don't want to, but the way life works, sometimes that is the case, or often that is the case. I know it was true in Bible times that mothers had the primary responsibility of shaping and molding and being around their children all the time. So today I want you to think with me about this mother who molded her child. And this child was a great servant of God and she provided a mold to him that leaves us a wonderful example of what mother Hood is meant to be in raising and molding children. Her son was named John Mark. Mark was his Roman name, Gentile name. John was his Jewish name. He became known, of course, as Mark. Probably, or maybe, the name Mark dominated over the name John because he eventually was on mission trips and therefore spending most of his time amongst the Gentile audience. His name Mark became the prevalent name of the two. This is who he was. His mother, we learn in Acts 12 and verse 12, was named Mary. There are many different women in Scripture named Mary. This is one that I think we have overlooked. Admittedly, I have. I was given the task of speaking recently on these two Bible characters, and this is where I became more acquainted with Mary. She was a wealthy woman, and she was a widow. And so she had the responsibility not only of being mother to her child, but also taking over responsibilities that a father who was not there could not fulfill. She had a brother that probably helped a lot. Her brother's name was Barnabas. And Barnabas... Colossians 4 and verse 10, was the cousin of Mark, or that Barnabas was his cousin that, because of the relationship. This woman had a male relative who took over the spot that her husband no longer could fill. And Barnabas became a great 
servant of God, of course, as you know. And he had good family involvement, so the two of them were cousins. This relationship developed this great man who wrote a gospel account of Jesus that we know as the Gospel of Mark. Some interesting tidbits of information that might be of interest to you. Mark records, and he is the only one who does so, that at the arrest of Jesus in the garden, there was a young man who was sort of hanging around. Now everybody fled. Peter went with the crowd to the courtroom with Jesus, keeping his distance as well. But Mark records a young man who was there, and when the soldiers went to grab him, they pulled his coat off of him, and he, the Bible says, fled from them naked. I wonder, was that Mark? I wonder if it was Mark because surely he's the only one who records it, and he would have known that it happened if it were him. Well, that would not be out of order in Luke chapter 24. Luke is the only one who records the name of one of the two men that Jesus met on the road to Emmaus after his resurrection. And he names one of them as Clopas. I wonder, was the other one Dr. Luke? He would have known Clopas. He would have been on the road if it were him. And Jesus would have met with him on the road following his resurrection. And what about the disciple whom Jesus loved? The Bible never specifically says, oh, that's the apostle John. It's never said that way. But John is the only one who records that title given to someone. And maybe John is the one, and his humility kept him from identifying himself as the one, while admitting that there was a disciple whom Jesus loved. I think those are interesting facts about him and about his life. Peter called him in 1 Peter 5, my son. Obviously, he's talking about his spiritual son, Peter, probably the one who taught him or taught him enough and converted him, and he became his spiritual son. I also think or know that according to tradition, he died a martyr's death, Mark did, in the eighth year of Nero, about 62 to 63 and then, of course, he wrote that book of Mark. But another final interesting fact, not one time do we hear about or read a sermon that he preached. And not one time do we see a miracle that he performed. But because of 
with the encouragement of his mother. He was molded into a great servant of God, one that God would use to write an account. And that account of Mark, some have even called it Peter's gospel because there were those in the second century who said that Mark was Peter's scribe. He was the one who wrote the things that Peter wanted to say. And maybe they thought he might have been writing what Peter wanted him to write in the Gospel of Mark. Well, it would make sense to some degree that he got his stories from Peter because Mark uses very quick language. He quickly goes through a summary of the life of Jesus. This account we owe partially to the woman who raised him and who molded him to be what God wanted him to be for the next few minutes. I want to show you the mold that Mary created for this son of hers. I want you to see the mold that you women who have children, you can create this same mold for your children and they will grow up potentially to be exactly the powerful Christian that Mark was as well. Notice this mold with me. Number one, she molded him to understand, never underestimate the value of your Christian family. Acts 12 and verse 12, she was a Christian mother who raised her son. Now, I know there are very many people, even in this room today, who were raised with parents maybe who were not Christians. There might even be some here who were raised in situations where God was not even a part of your home. And, and I am glad that you came to know the Lord. I'm glad that you now live as a Christian. And certainly there are things that you bring to Christianity that those who were not raised in that environment don't understand intimately, and you can help us. But even those people who came to know the Lord late in life, not through their family, many have said to me through the years, I appreciate my family, but if I had a choice, I would grow up in a Christian family. Don't underestimate the value of your Christian family. Children, maybe you think that your parents are tough to live with because all of your friends get to do so many things different or more than do you. Maybe they have restrictions on you and demands on you that your friends don't have. Don't underestimate the value of this Christian family. And if you have a Christian family, mothers, don't underestimate your value in their lives for you are stamping them and you are molding them in ways that you hope will stay with them for their entire lives or maybe 
that will bring them back later in life. The value of a Christian family. And the value of a Christian family that has certain standards by which to live. I am amazed at how much some families major in minors. They major in athletic accomplishment. They major in academic accomplishment. They major in things that relate to brushing teeth, going to bed, and cleaning your rooms. And they harp on them all the time. But they don't have the same concern, the same intensity, and they don't set the same example and require the same faithfulness to things spiritual. Reading your Bible, praying, being in Bible class, assembling with worship, a good Christian family has a greater chance of raising great Christian young men and women just like Mary did with Mark. Number two, she molded him by providing him all kinds of opportunities to learn and grow. I find it interesting in that verse, Acts 12 and 12, that this is a mother who had the church in her home. The text that was read earlier was about Peter being in prison. And when God miraculously released him from prison, he went to that house. And the Bible says it was because they were gathered there praying for him. The whole church had gathered at Mary's home to pray for Peter. The way it is written indicates to me that this was not something that popped up on the spur of the moment. Peter's in prison. We better get together and pray. Does anybody want to host them at your house? And Mary said, well, if nobody else will, I'll take them. It doesn't sound like that to me. It sounds like Mary's house was a continuous place of assembly, of fellowship, and of being together. And if that is the case, then what she did for her son was provide all kinds of opportunities. Can you imagine the stories that Mark heard at his dinner table? Can you imagine the stories of him hearing about the missionary work of Jesus, the life of Jesus, and the places that he went, and the things that he did, and they talked about it right there at the dinner table. And she wanted to expose him to those opportunities. She wanted him to listen. She wanted him to interact. She wanted him to know, and this widow woman Christian molded him by those opportunities that she presented to him in their home. Combined with that, 
she taught him to listen to the right people. Listen. All of those people who came into that home and all those people with whom he interacted, she taught him to listen to them. That's why his cousin Barnabas was so important. That man that you know in Acts 4 who was called the son of encouragement, nicknamed that by the apostles because of the quality of man that he was, selling his land and giving it the proceeds to those people in need. He got to sit and listen to Barnabas and learn what it means to encourage other people and to be sacrificial. He was, her, he was at the feet of Peter. Maybe Peter told him about his life and his time with Jesus, and he got to listen to those people. And therefore, he was taught by his mother, you find good people and you listen to them. Do you train your children to find good people to listen to? Do you monitor the people that have the greatest influence over your children? Do you know what they're being taught? Do you know what they're being shown? This woman seemed to have had this connection, molding her child through the people she introduced into his life. Number four, she molded him in a way that he was able to take on a challenge in his spiritual life to be better. At the end of Acts chapter 12 and verse 25 and going into chapter 13, Barnabas and Saul invited Mark to go with them on a mission trip. Do you think he would have been able to do that without his mother's help? How about the training that she gave him? How about the help that she gave him? How about everything she did to mold him to where he could be a missionary for God? And it's not easy. I've actually heard parents discourage children who have a passion for ministry. I've heard parents discourage a young man from pursuing full-time ministry. I've heard parents discourage a daughter from wanting to do mission work, wanting to be involved in the lives of people in ways that would take her away from home and maybe even from the country. What about those spiritual challenges we need? If we don't have challenge, we don't grow. One of the benefits of gravity is not just that we stay here instead of floating it's that while we are here from the time we're born and we're growing against the gravity. And it's the challenge 
that strengthens the muscles. It's the exercise and the push that helps us physically. What about spiritually? What kind of spiritual challenges are you asking your children to take? This woman pushed her son, and he was ready to take the spiritual challenge of mission work. Again, this woman molded him in such a way that when he failed, he was not a failure. He went on that mission trip, but he did not last very long. In Acts 13, the Bible says that he left. He went back home. Now, I don't know why. It seems that God didn't choose to tell us why. Maybe we can assume that he was not ready for the harsh troubles. I don't know. Maybe he wasn't ready to face persecution. I don't know. Maybe he just wanted to go back and be with his spiritual father, Peter, in Jerusalem and work there. I don't know. But he left. Two years later, when Paul and Barnabas were getting ready for their second missionary journey, Barnabas said, let's take John Mark. Paul said, we're not doing it. We're not doing it. He's already left us once. We can't trust him. No, we're not taking him with us. So Barnabas took him with him. And we don't read about him again for a long, long time. Yes, Mark failed in his spiritual challenge. But he wasn't a failure because Barnabas took him Because his mother also taught him this. She molded him to say, when you do fail, don't be a failure. Go right back into ministry and keep working. Barnabas would not have taken him if he thought that he was not ready to try again. Barnabas took him because he knew that he had been a failure, but now he had changed his mind. Moms, what are you doing to help your children learn that when they fail, they can always come back? What are you doing to help them know that just because they fail doesn't mean they're failures? You can always return to ministry again. No matter where you've been or what you've done, no matter how bad your life has been, no matter how many times you have failed, you can come back. And Mark knew that because his mother molded him to understand, I can go back. I can start over. But finally... When you fail and you come back, his mother taught him, molded him in such a way that he was able to take his failure and use it in his ministry. Eleven years later, 
Paul is in prison. And he's writing to Timothy. And in 2 Timothy 4, he says this, Bring Mark to me, for he is useful for ministry. Mark failed. Mark came back. And now Paul in his later life, who did not want him on that second journey, was actually calling him to come as a fellow laborer. Why do you think that is? I think Paul saw some value in having a man around him that others could see had failed and who came back and straightened out his life. There is great value in people seeing those who have failed come back to do great things. How are you teaching your children to use the things that are difficult, the things that bother them, the things that cause them trouble, and the things in which they fail? How are you using that? To teach them to use those things for the Lord later? Moms, when your children come home and their friends have turned their backs on them, can you teach them to grow up one day, to reach out to people who have been rejected? And try to help them because you've been there. When your child sits down with you and says, I messed up. I did this. Can you take that child and say, someday you're going to have a chance to help somebody else who has failed. Somebody else who has sinned. And somebody else who needs your help. I think that's what this mom did. And I think she molded him through her intentional actions as a mother. To teach a young man who became a great servant of Jesus. And about whom and through whom we read a book of the Bible, written by a man, molded by his mother. Today we worship God. We give God honor and praise. And we do so by saying, God created motherhood. And in that creation, he designed a woman who can mold her children. And Mary shows us that today. I hope you've been molded by a Christian mother who just wants you to be a Christian, who just wants you to go to heaven, who just wants you to be with her. 
in heaven. If your mother is not a Christian and you're wanting to know about Jesus, you can live a Christian life in spite of that and you even can be an influence to her because God wants you to be with him and that will never change. Today, if you need to be a child of God, if you need to be immersed for the forgiveness of your sins, if you need to come back to the family of God and let us encircle you and help you, our shepherds are here as we stand and sing together. We hope you enjoyed today's broadcast brought to you by the Richmond Church of Christ. We are located at 1500 Lancaster Road in Richmond, Kentucky. We meet on Sunday mornings for Bible class at 9 a.m., followed by our morning worship service held at 10 a.m. Our Sunday evening service is held at 6 p.m., and our midweek Bible study is held on Wednesday at 7 p.m. If you are in the area, we would love to have you as our honored guest. Thanks for listening.